Welcome everyone to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast Extra. Jess, do you want to do the proper intro? I shall indeed. Welcome back to the podcast today. We are going to be talking about some exciting stuff happening in the world of marketing, including Google's double E-A-T, whatever you are calling it at the moment, um, Google Analytics 4, some TikTok trends for 2023. We're chatting about this week's video, our brand of the week, our lesson of the week, and we will also be covering our question of the week. So lots of different things of the week. Very, very exciting. <laughs> All right, Jess, Google's made another strangely titled update. We had spam brain a little while ago. Now we've got EEAT, double EAT. What's going on? What is going on? Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those updates that feels a little bit random. And it feels like they were kind of almost saying, we're already doing this, but just so you know, we're going to give it a name. <laughs> um, so it was quite quite surprising to see that update, but um, I think it's probably going to help with this new kind of wave of AI content as well as help reduce the amount of people who might be sort of commenting on something that they have no experience in, reviewing something they have no experience in. Um, and yeah, for those who don't know, since I skipped ahead there, the new E in EAT, in double E, AT, stands for experience. Um, and rather than it being the experience that somebody might have reading your blog or whatever, it's the actual physical experience you have, whether that's like in your industry or if you're reviewing a product or involved with a product, the experience you've actually got spending time with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose there might be some people who, who aren't like caught up with the whole EAT thing. So Google has, in an, in an effort to produce or to show search results that are trustworthy, um, Google has for a while been prioritizing sites that demonstrate expertise authority and trust so that's the eat piece right and, and uh, this is particularly important for topics where there is some sort of consequence of that information being wrong right so if i'm googling you know what temperature should a baby's bedroom be don't want an answer that's like yeah 65 degrees celsius probably pretty good from someone on cora who's just having a laugh right we need that to be uh, reliable information. So how does Google work out whether it's reliable? Well, it's supposed to look at the expertise, authority and trust of the writer and the website. So this is an additional E for experience. And yeah, like you said, just not the experience of the website. So I mean, I've got some thoughts on this. I think it's actually a really, really great update. <laughs> I know that as SEOs, we can be a little bit skeptical and a bit, oh, not another stupid Google update. But I actually think moving forward, this is fantastic news. Now, of course, there's a whole question about how does Google actually, you know, how good is Google actually at detecting experience? And the process, of course, is that they will update their search quality rater guidelines, which are the guidelines that are used by the, I think, 100,000 plus search quality raters around the world. That's who, the one. That their job is basically to, look at search results and say, does this pass my criteria that I've been given? Yes or no. And it's a way of training Google's algorithm to, to look for these sort of um, difficult to define concepts um, by, by basically just throwing loads of data at it and, and training the algorithm. Yes or no? Yes, this passes. So it's possible that it will take a while for, for the search quality rater guidelines changes to actually be seen in search results because firstly we have to you know train the algorithm and then it will, will prevent, present us with answers but assuming that google is actually going to get really good at identifying 
first-hand experience in content, I think this could be amazing. Well, if you search for something like, you know, product reviews, there is nothing more annoying than finding a page and it's just an affiliate page and the, the writer has clearly never used any of the products that are being reviewed. And it's just like, hey, click on my affiliate links and I've ordered them by the one that gives me the most commission. That's like, that's rubbish. This could actually be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, I was just surprised that it was added onto the existing eat because I thought it was really important. And I think they could have done a bit more to kind of explain the type of content they want to see um, and sort of who, not necessarily who would be targeted. And this is the thing is every Google update, they're not really targeting anyone to be like, you're the villain. This is why we've made this update. <laughs> But obviously, it's sometimes nice to know what kind of content um, to avoid. But I think it is really good that they're sort of cracking down in a way on people putting half-baked content out there. And I think we've seen a trend definitely throughout a lot of the Google updates, especially this year, that they're really, really pushing for like this amazing content. They want content that's really, really good, that's going to give really good value to their, their customers, their users, their searchers. And um, I think, yeah, we're going to keep seeing updates like this. And I think this like little update to EAT um, that will go through these search quality folks. Totally forgot the last part of that, their name there. Search but, quality um, raters or robots. That's the one, that's the one. Um, but once it filters through, I think we'll, we'll probably see like a bigger announcement or a bigger, you know, update basically. So yeah, yeah. I'm excited, excited to see what comes from it. And I know we're not supposed to talk about AI all the time on this podcast. I've been told by many different people, many, not too much AI, no. Tim. But... <laughs> told by me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dale and various. Yeah. But I think this is more of Google's um, recognition that a potential sort of AI chatbot thing is a competitor for Google. So it needs to work on making the search results even better. We've had a comment from someone that says this update would be incredible for publishers who are actually putting in the work. And I think you're bang on there. This is absolutely incredible for those publishers who are making really good stuff like how do we stay on the right side of this right if you're going to be working with content writers a lot of people work with content writers like we work with clients and maybe we're writing a post about you know cosmetic surgery procedures we might not have direct experience of that so how does that business stay on the right at the right on the right side of this well it's really important that we continue to talk to those businesses and get their first-hand experience which we can bake into this post if you're going to be writing about something that you have absolutely no experience of at all like you know a journalist might be writing about um i don't know some the, the inner workings of a company that they've never worked in before they've never seen into what they need to do is they need to make sure that their sources are cited they need to make sure that people who have um that first-hand experience are mentioned in the article so there is some evidence of first-hand experience but um this shouldn't be too difficult to stay on the right hand side on the right side of if you are um if you're legit basically this is a this is a kick in the teeth for everyone that's just pumping out trash content and for those of us who are committed to making the best great we want the trash to get kicked in the face so i'm here for it <laughs> completely completely like i said google are definitely pushing to support people who put the effort in and are doing the research and are putting out quality content and to punish those people who are taking shortcuts um, which i think is very important have to say on the topic of google something that's a very hot topic at exposure ninja at the moment is the move to google analytics 4 and i think it's very very easy over the past couple of years to say oh it's not going to be till 2023 got a year that's ages away and now 2023 is like next week so if you haven't already looked into um 
you know, setting up Google Analytics 4 or even had a glance at it, now is the time, please, please. I beg of you personally, set up your Google Analytics 4 account because it's not going to take any data over from Universal Analytics. So if you were thinking, oh, I can just hop over there in July, everything will be fine. It won't. You will have no data at all and you'll be starting from scratch. If you haven't set it up already, I wrote a very, very detailed guide about how to set it up, which is in the description. Um, it will be in the description of this live stream and in the podcast once it is uploaded. Anything to add, Tim? Um, no, I, uh, Bashir said in the comments that the GA4 is still a bit buggy. Don't you guys think so? I, I couldn't agree more. My totally mental projection for 2023 is that they're going to have to roll back the start date for this because the businesses that we talk to and the marketers that we you know work with no one's ready for this this has been the 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 you know we've seen it for years coming down the pipe this ga4 thing i'll be honest it's completely confusing most businesses have no idea where to start with it jess's guide is absolutely incredible by the way it's probably the best <laughs> google analytics 4 guide i've read so um go to exposureninja.com or just search for exposure ninja google analytics 4 and you'll find it but it's a really good guide to kind of getting things understood and working out where things are we've also got some youtube videos we've got one that i put together which is basically here's like the few things that you need to know in plain english if you want to get to grips with ga4 but I think it's going to have to be pushed back because you know if people aren't ready for cookies, keep Google keeps pushing back the, yeah. um, the the Google Chrome cookie removal thing year after year. It gets pushed back. I can't not see a similar thing happening here. However, you need to be prepared. You need to have it installed so it's at least collecting data, as Jess says. This um, is exactly it. This is exactly it. And I will say, my guide is quite wordy and quite technical. And if you're the kind of person who just wants to get it set up and then have somebody tell you these are the metrics that apply to you, this is what you need. We are offering very nice consultation calls where you can speak to some experts about GA4 and find out like what actually is going to work for you. And there is a link to sign up for that in the description as well. Yes, and one thing to add on that, um, some of our team have been doing some incredible work on GA4, including things like getting GA4 conversions tracking properly on, on Shopify, um, getting uh, things like add to cart and, um, and you know, checkout process steps added as conversions in GA4, which is quite hard to do and actually wasn't available natively on Shopify. So we've built some solutions to fix this. So it's one of those things where GA4 takes a lot more setting up than Universal Analytics did. So it's well worth whether you're doing it with us or, or anyone, well worth investing a bit of time and possibly money to get this thing set up correctly, because then you know you can trust your data. Otherwise, you know, th this is this is the dashboard that you're going to be driving the business with for the next however many years. You need to make sure it's set up correctly from the beginning. Completely. Uh, completely. Someone's asked, can I pay you guys to set it up? Yes, you can. Request the GA4 consultation that Jess has mentioned in the description. And there's a process that you can go through to do that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And last thing to say about GA4 is even though Tim's saying they might push it back, and even though I'm saying, you know, set it up now, leave it, whatever. Please have a go with it because it's totally different to Universal Analytics. There's stuff in there that's changed name. There's stuff in there that's the same name as something that was in Universal Analytics, but it actually means something different. Um, and you will get in there and be like, oh my God, I don't know where anything is. So I definitely recommend having a play with it um, and just figuring stuff out while it's collecting that data. So you can kind of um, double up on that. Next piece of news, Jess, you shared some TikTok trends for 2023, which might be interesting to go through. Not just for people that are interested in TikTok, I think, but also for people who want to know where consumer behavior is going. So I think a lot of these will influence other channels too. So what have you, uh, what have you found? 
Absolutely, yeah. So this um, TikTok trends announcement actually came through their ads blog, which shows that it's specifically for businesses, you know, people that are already reading that blog who might want to run ads, but it's not technically ads related. So um, there's three trends that they have identified that they think are going to come up in 2023. Now, one thing I do want to say about it is that if they're saying that they expect these trends to happen and they're pushing them to businesses, they're probably going to be encouraging these trends a little bit, maybe boosting high quality content that kind of falls into these categories. Um, I'm not going to go into huge depth about each one. There is um, a link to the announcement and everything in the description. Um, but the trends that we are looking at are actionable entertainment, which is basically edutainment kind of entertaining content that also teaches you something. Um, making space for joy, which is kind of just like spreading positivity, talking about burnout, talking about positive things within your industry or just taking care of each other within your space. Um, and then trend three is community built ideals, which is kind of has a little bit of a similar vibe to the actual actionable entertainment. But it's more about like having people um, in your who like your business and care about your business, who are excited and want to share about it. So it's almost like influence marketing, but not really. And it's kind of, yeah. They're all a little bit vague in a way, because obviously TikTok don't want to say it's going to be this exactly. But if you go have a read of them after this stream, please, after you've listened to this podcast, that would be um, fantastic. But one thing that I did want to say, if you're like, well, I don't even use TikTok, I don't even care. One thing to know is that TikTok trends reach across multiple platforms. Like I keep getting these adverts for YouTube shorts while I'm on YouTube. I'm like, I'm already here, pals. It's fine. I know about it. But both all the videos that they're using as examples of trends that have happened on YouTube in the past year all started on TikTok, which I think is quite entertaining. We see the same on Reels. We see these trends kind of grow and expand across all sorts of areas. So I think it's important to pay attention to TikTok trends, even if you're like, that isn't relevant to me because I don't use TikTok. Maybe your business uses Instagram, maybe your business uses YouTube, or maybe you know there's some way that you could transfer this into blog content. And that's another reason why I do like TikTok, because if you are a business that has that younger audience and are doing well on TikTok, one great thing about TikTok is you can put out loads and loads of content that can look, I'm not saying it needs to look rubbish, but I'm not saying that, but you can do it quite quickly, very, a lot faster than you could write a blog or, you know, put out a full YouTube video. And one thing you can do is kind of use that to test your ideas. And if something pops off on TikTok, it's likely that your audience will enjoy it on blogs, on longer videos. It's a good way to test the water if you're thinking of launching new products. Um, so if you have that audience, I think it's a really, really good space to be using. And in combination with these trends, you could actually see some quite decent success on TikTok as a brand in 2023. Yes, couldn't agree more. I think there's, there's TikTok is like the bleeding edge, isn't it, Jess? Like you're saying, TikTok is where stuff is sort of invented and then it feeds down into all the other areas. Yeah. And I think, we see with these trends, so actionable entertainment, edutainment, making space for joy and community built ideals. This is why most business content on most platforms fails because those three could not be more alien to most business content. Yeah. It's, it's like a completely different world. And 2023 is probably going to be the year when a good percentage of your customers, whoever you're selling to, whatever demographic you're selling to, spend a decent amount of time on TikTok. So this is what they are going to be consuming. This is what's going to become normal for them. It's these types of things. And if we as businesses are like, yeah, but we don't need to worry about that because we just write blogs. Well, guess what? Someone who's 
brain has been melted by spending two hours a day on TikTok going through this the most addictive, highly <laughs> the most addictive, highly entertaining content ever. And they come onto your blog and it's like a 5,000 word sludge fest. Well, they're not going to respond to that in the same way as before their brain was fundamentally altered by the dopamine hacking algorithm. So this is something that we all want to be on the right side of whether or not we're posting on TikTok. So I think this is this is one of those things in marketing where it's more important than it seems. And it might look like, oh, this is happening over there over the fence. But actually, this is something that will feed into everything else, like Jess is saying. Yeah, 100%. Keep an eye on it because it's definitely worth worth following. Like I said, even if you're like, I don't feel like TikTok is a platform for me, maybe you're going to be the first person in your industry to break it and figure out how it works. So give it a go. Nothing to be scared of, nothing to lose. <laughs> Other than having your brain <laughs> melted. Potentially, potentially, yes. But, you know, <laughs> you know, just try it, see. This week's video went live. It was, we I know we're not, we're not talking about AI. We're not talking about AI, but this was- We are a little bit, AI. yeah. We can't avoid it. We can't avoid it. I was just like, Tim, we'll have to bring it in a little bit, but it's fine. Hey, I'll make I'll sure. i the timer. <laughs> we got two minutes, go. If you haven't yes. seen the video, basically, we we got the AI to do some digital marketing tasks and then we like, compared them with the work the team has done inside Exposure Ninja. So it's like AI versus marketer. And then we pitched our head of PPC, Nick Tuxford, who is an incredibly experienced marketer. We said, Nick, can you tell the difference between these two? Um, and long story short, she could, but I think it was some of the, the stuff around that that was quite interesting. And we could see a glimpse of where our AI was going and how useful it could be to marketers. Jess, what did you think of it all? I thought it was it was interesting. And I was glad that um, the human element still came through because I think it's so important. I think a big takeaway for, for me was um, that all businesses should be focusing on content that their audience can relate to and the type of things that their audience are actually searching before they convert. So not necessarily, the example we used in the video was um, ergonomic desks ergonomic office furniture um, yeah. so sometimes people might not even know that that's the thing they need and then by doing research for instance you know back pain working from home they will then realize oh okay it's because I've got a terrible I'm sat at my kitchen table or I'm sat in bed or you know all these little things that they didn't even realize that was an issue um you know they, they're, they're nearly there but not quite at the solution yet and um, mm. I think we need to focus on that going forward I think Google's going to be looking at that and I just think that's what consumers are looking for they want to have their questions answered um and yeah i think that's the most important thing but despite my views i would like to know tim how can businesses fit ai and these tools into their upcoming strategies for 2023 so that they don't get left behind basically yeah that's a good question uh we've been, well we've been playing with it in em for quite a while and i think the the closest use for AI, that the, the use of AI that is nearest to us is with help with content writing, which is one of the most time consuming tasks that us marketers uh, face. The danger, of course, is that all of these Google algorithm updates, including the most recent one, they're always talking about content written for humans by humans. So Google's sort of setting a pretty strong line in the sand to say we don't want to be ranking ai written content and not only that we're going to punish sites that are publishing lots of it so we've got to be really really careful and we've been experimenting with different tools um, that sort of 
check content to see how AI is. Like, does it feel like AI written content? The tools are pretty unpredictable, right? So we sometimes we'll have AI written content that says, no, this isn't AI content, this is human content. And sometimes we'll have vice versa, where Luke, our head of CM, showed me an example today where he'd written a blog post. I put some of the paragraphs in and they were like, yes, this is AI generated content. I mean, much to... Uh, unless there's something about Luke that we don't know. But so <laughs> the tools are unpredictable. I think we've got to be really careful. Our internal guidelines for the teams at the moment are play with AI and use it as a sort of idea thing that you can bounce stuff off, but don't go writing or don't go publishing large chunks of AI generated content in case Google is really good at finding it. What we don't want to do is have a site penalized because it's publishing AI generated content. Um, it's, you know, we saw it with Panda and Penguin back in the, Back in the olden days of search, yeah. how you know sites and sometimes entire businesses just be decimated by Google being a little bit heavy-handed with, uh, with you know after some previous transgressions. So we don't want to fall into that trap. So I think at the moment, how do businesses use it? Play with it, understand its limitations, and just keep an eye on it. But as for like, is it going to make your marketing significantly easier in 2023? I'm yet to see that many applications where it doesn't where it, it like helps hugely. It's good at creating sort of generic stuff. If you have a look at the video, you can see that actually none of those tasks we would want the AI to do for us. Um, yeah. So I think it's just like, keep an eye on it. Yeah, completely. My experiences with AI so far have more been to do with like, if I need a little idea or if I'm trying to simplify mm. something and my knowledge is at a level where I feel like I can't totally simplify it down. So I'll use something like, we sometimes use Jasper um, on like the content team and they have a function that lets you like change the reading level of what you're writing. And I've used that a couple of times if I'm like, I just can't find the words to explain this. So that's been quite helpful, but it's being used as a tool rather than doing all the work. It's just like yeah. an extra little thing, a brainstorming tool or something like that. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't want to use it to write content. And I think if I went on a website and was reading a lot of AI generated content, I would not think well of that business personally. Yeah. You yeah. can still tell, can't you? It's, it's yeah, fairly... I think so. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Sweet Jess, you have a brand of the week for us. I actually heard of this one, so I feel like I'm 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 either getting cooler or you're choosing more mainstream brands. But I'm feeling proud for myself for hearing of this. Well one. done. Yeah, is this the first one that you've known? <laughs> yeah, I think it might be. Yeah, <laughs> that's to that's totally fine. It was our lovely Lucy who um, put this brand forward for me a couple of weeks ago, and I've been trying to find time to fit it in. And this week was the absolute perfect time. So the brand is called Dash Water. Very exciting, and they are a direct to consumer but also sell in some supermarkets and stuff now. Um, basically, water business. Um, what they sell is like flavored water, sparkling water, tonic water, like all those kind of things. Um, and the reason I chose them for the brand of the week, other than from Lucy's wonderful suggestion, was because I feel like they have very, very clear positioning as a brand. Um, they sort of, obviously, if you're listening to the podcast later, you can open up the website on your computer or on your mobile phone wherever you are browsing um dash and then dash water.com um, and basically like i said some of the reasons why i really like them is they go straight away they're like dash to your door no calories no sugar no sweetener they're telling you three of the key selling points about this and they also said and no queuing in the supermarkets either so they're still pushing that direct to consumer sort of business model even though they're selling in supermarkets and i think part of that might be because of the price i think being in the supermarkets is almost to raise awareness and have them there just in case 
And then maybe somebody will try one as a treat and be like, actually, I want to buy a whole box of those. And then they'll go, you know, see if they can get it cheaper elsewhere. I expect that the website is cheaper. Um, They're also offering at the moment, like free delivery on all subscription orders, which is a really, really smart way to get people into that subscription cycle um, while also offering them something in return. And they were also offering 20 pounds vouchers if you refer a friend, which I just thought was those are two things that I don't, I feel like I haven't seen so much like free delivery. Yes. But the £20, if you refer a friend, like being that obvious on the main homepage, I thought was um, really, really good. And I was quite impressed with that. They've also got just some nice stuff, like they've got their trust signals. And something that I very much enjoyed was that as you scroll down, they kind of have little nets to catch people who are unsure and who are sort of still scrolling to be like, I'm not sure if this is for me. Can I justify the price? And they drop in these things like, you know, it's British spring water. They use wonky fruit that would isn't beautiful enough for the supermarkets that would have gone in the bin and also um you know they reinforce that they don't have sugar fake flavors any of these things so they've obviously got a very certain target demographic which are people who are like conscious of the environment who are conscious of their health um, and i think they're making that very very clear and there is certified people which is very nice as well um so yeah just thought their positioning was really good yeah completely yeah, it's a great a great example of a business that knows their audience, isn't it? Yes, absolutely, um, absolutely. I, yeah. I find it really, like selling wonky fruit as a benefit. Yeah. Like this is, yeah, we're saving the fruit from the bin and we're selling it to you. Like logically, that's not a benefit. That's a compromise, right? <laughs> we're, selling, yeah. we're using an ingredient that nobody else wants. Um, so it's not on the surface, it's not a benefit, but they, but they've got that association. It's got that association with, um, you know, uh, ecology and, you know, no waste and all that type of stuff where actually it is a benefit for the right audience. And that's yeah. really interesting. It's a little marketing hack. I love the refer friend 20 pounds as well, 20 pounds, yeah. which to me suggests that their cost per acquisition is around 20 pounds. It must be. For PPC. Yeah. I was you know, when you're when you when you know that you're ruined as a marketer is when you notice that someone t- sends you a cool new brand and the first thing you do is just slam their site into Semrush. That's when you know <laughs> that you're you know you're 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 crazy. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. They're they're, they're running Google ads. Uh, they're running shopping ads only, mostly for branded terms, and okay. mostly the the product that they're selling in these Google ads, the shopping ads, is the uh, 96 can multi pack. Wow. That's a lot of water, right? But that's a lot, yeah. It's like over a hundred pounds for 96 cans, which I'm probably reluctant to buy if it's my first purchase. But I thought it was interesting that that's what they were pitching the shopping ads. That sort of implies that their cost per acquisition through shopping is unprofitable for anything other than that, you know, hundred pound plus sale, which would make sense if their cost per new customer is around 20 pounds. If I'm that business, I'm thinking, how can I get sales using organic traffic? as much as possible next year so they're not really ranking for much on search for things like you know sparkling water drinks or sparkling water mail order that you know not really uh ranking for much with that they've got a tiktok presence but they're not really doing a huge amount with it they've got some good ideas but not getting much traction so for me this is one of those direct consumer brands where they need to get that acquisition cost scalable they need to have a really scalable way of getting new customers Otherwise, the numbers in the business are going to make it very difficult to grow because they're selling 
water via post, which is already expensive to ship. So they need to be getting those customers in really cheaply. So organic traffic has to be the way to go here. But yeah, brilliant website, I think, and delightful positioning. It makes me really happy. Yeah, completely <laughs> agree. I think um, if I was this business, um, I mean, the first thing that I would say about them is that I like that they're not sort of compromising on price. They're kind of saying, hey, here's here's what we're offering you. You know, these are the reasons why you should spend the money with us because we're a B Corp, because we're using fruit that would have otherwise gone in the bin, et cetera, et cetera. But something that I would sort of recommend to any business like this who does have that really high like cost per acquisition, I think that might have been what you said, Tim. Um, yeah. Getting all my CPA and CAC mixed yeah, up. Right. Um, but I noticed on the Instagram that they had pictures of like weddings and events. And I think this is a really, really great opportunity for them to be like, you know, unique things for your wedding, you know, unique. I mean, they're not super unique, but if I went to a wedding and there was a can of dash water on the table, I would be pretty intrigued. It's something a bit yeah. different. It sort of is one of those like, yeah, you can use this with an alcoholic drink, or if you aren't that way inclined, you can just have it on its own. It feels a little bit fancy. Like I definitely think that pushing for kind of events, pushing for like business fridges, you know, that are like in businesses that do offer like drinks and stuff to their employees and just yeah all that kind of stuff i think they could target a lot of different keywords and they have the aesthetics and the general vibes to really like if i was doing wedding research and i landed on their website i might go hmm, dash water that's a bit mm. random but the rest of the branding and everything fits that kind of vibe i know yeah. I'm, just, I'm saying vibe a lot and maybe everybody watching or listening is like i have no idea what she means but it's very pastely it's very gentle it's very sort of here's a great experience here's something a little bit special so i think yeah if i was that business that's the route i would go down for sure and then in your wedding thank you cards right you send out your referral code get 20 pounds off for everyone who buys and there you, know, you go pay for your honeymoon or whatever this is in dash water obviously it's probably <laughs> not that viable it's not that scalable as a money-making opportunity but you know someone will figure it out <laughs> indeed they will indeed they will tim what is your marketing lesson of the week okay um i really really wanted to bring you another one here because i've just been looking through uh it's it's always award season exposure ninja but i've just been uh, looking through the data for one of the campaigns that we're entering for an award it's for a a bariatric company it's like gastric bands and stuff um, I think it might be the highest return on investment that I've ever seen at Exposure Ninja. So this business, they've spent 1500 a month with us, 5k a month on ad spend, total return in 2022, 10.4 million. <laughs> For a total cost of 78k. So I can't wait to share the, you know, the, the stuff behind the scenes of this because it is, it's freaking insane it's one of those where you sort of shake your head and shake the screen just to make sure it's not been a mistake but um yeah that, that's not today's lesson because i don't have enough um i haven't done the award entry yet but today's lesson is a bit more of a a sort of a broader thing right so it's about opportunity and when you decide to strike and when you decide to hold back there's this saying Warren Buffett's famous saying, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. And people post this on Instagram and they go, yeah, yeah, that's smart. That's intelligent. Be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Because of course, when everyone else is pulling back, if you can be aggressive, you can snap up market share and all that sorts of thing. And we saw it with COVID, right? As soon as we got into April, um, after the March lockdown, CPCs on Google dropped by something crazy, like 25% on average, right? And a lot of businesses just pull back on their marketing spend. They're like, no way, we're not doing this. The ones who are really smart 
and who were greedy when others are fearful said, actually, do you know what? Our business is quite well positioned for this. We're going to push into it. And we had clients like this who were well set up for, for, for COVID and they did really well in that time because their acquisition costs just dropped 25% immediately. We're in a similar sort of situation now where the economy around the world, every sort of economy is on the verge of, you know, being called a recession. Um, lots of fear, lots of panic everywhere. There are some businesses that are really well set up for this time and they have an offering which makes sense for, an, uh, for a recession. They have an uh, offering which maybe save customers money or whatever. It's really interesting for me to see these businesses and how many of them are not being greedy when others are fearful they're being fearful when others are fearful even if there is absolutely no justification because the reality is that when those around you are deciding to pull back on their marketing or be a little bit more cautious it takes guts to say do you know what i believe in our products i believe that we should push so it's been three businesses in the last week that i've seen where if i was in charge of that i'd be like slamming my foot to the floor saying right we're going super hard on this and they haven't because be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy is a lot easier as an Instagram quote than it is as a sort of life motto. And I just think it's really interesting. It's so difficult to buy the dip because it goes against all of our sort of uh, conditioning, our herd mentality that we have as humans and often serves us so well. So that's my lesson. If you know that you're in a good place, freaking push through it. Don't pull back just because others are doing it. Completely. No, I totally agree. And if you're sort of listening to that and thinking, how does that apply to me? Or how can I kind of put that into um, into play? The main thing to do is really pay attention to your customers. Try and figure out what kind of people they are and their behavior during a recession. So some people are kind of, you know, YOLO, you, you only live once. They're more likely to spend and splurge during a recession where there's others who will take longer and need more information before making a purchase. So there's all sorts of different types of customers. Um, Tim did a video a little while ago about marketing during a recession, which you can watch after this video, not and or after this podcast, whichever, whether you're watching or listening, it's super, super important that you don't leave right now. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, but um, the other thing I wanted to say as well is that don't sort of lose yourself or dilute your message too much just because you're worried that people won't want to pay your prices because yeah. like I'm seeing this a lot with supermarkets and they're just a great example during recession you know there'll be some supermarkets for instance M&S Sainsbury's that people consider to be more high-end and you know give you more of a like luxury experience more M&S and Sainsbury's I suppose but they tend to fall into this place of like I've noticed a lot of M&S advertising that's like we're cheaper than Asda and I wouldn't even seeing those two names together was very strange for me and I was just a bit like M&S, stay in your lane. There's still people who are going to spend money with you and maybe yeah. even become more loyal to you. Um, but maybe just, you know, take a dive into your customer personalities, your customer behaviors, and don't just try and cut your costs because that's just going to send you under as well. So yeah, that's that's my advice in that area. Know your customers. Yeah, know your customers. Dan Kennedy said there's no strategic advantage to being second cheapest in the market, right? M&S is never going to undercut Asda. So they need to be looking at, um you know taking money from restaurants let's say and you know i know we've probably got restaurant people watching so I, I, you know sorry but you know if, if people are scared of or they're more reluctant to go out and have a big night out well mns is the cheaper alternative but still a luxury so this is this something is exactly that you, you know you, you you deserve it that's the marketing message to use if you're a higher price um yeah great shout do we have a question of the week jess we do have a question of the week the question of the week is tim what do you expect to be the biggest issue 
that businesses face with the move to Google Analytics 4. What do you think is going to be the biggest hurdle? We've kind of discussed this already, but I think it's a nice place to end on, kind of summarizing what we talked about earlier. I think, firstly, getting conversions set up so they can actually see what's going on on their websites is going to be a big hurdle for people because Universal Analytics was easy, GA4 is, uh, in, in many cases, much less easy. Then the second thing is getting to grips with it. Like you said, have a play with it because on the surface, it looks horrific and it is horrific. It's it's one of Google's, the reason it looks horrific is because it gives you everything. It's so powerful. And this is always a compromise, right? Wix yeah. websites, low power, easy to use. Google Analytics, high power, horrific to use. There's this like continuum. The more flexibility, the more control, the more data you have, the more this thing looks awful. And yeah. Google Analytics 4, I'm not going to lie, the user interface is awful one of the worst products i've ever seen released but it's incredibly powerful you can do things on ga4 that you never would have been able to do on ua you can get all sorts of insights that could be transformative to how you operate your digital marketing but you've got to get to grips with it and it's got it's gonna have a steep learning curve i think there's gonna be a lot of people that just say right forget it someone mentioned in the comments that they moved to a different analytics platform and i think we'll see a lot of that people just saying i i just i can't even and they'll just go somewhere else yeah 100%. I definitely found when I was writing my initial guide, because I wasn't as close to Google Analytics as other ninjas, I was like, I don't understand what people are complaining about. This seems very straightforward. And then when I started to work a lot more with Google Analytics, well, Universal Analytics, um, later this year, I was like, oh, I see now why people don't like this. So, I mean, there's a lot of benefits in terms of you can really look at the data that's important to you rather than having to look at, like, everything. Um, You can kind of niche it down if you have an app which I feel like most people don't, but if you do have an app, it has huge benefits there. Um, but it really is a case of trial and error and testing it out and seeing seeing what works for you, basically. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a steep learning curve. I think Tim might be right in saying they might push it back, but pretend, pretend like it's definitely going to change in July and prepare just in case they still roll it out and just don't care. And they're just like, look, get on with it. Throw everybody in the deep end of the pool and hope for the best. Yeah, right. Do not do not rely on Tim's wild hunches to bail you out here. You're going to have to get to grips with it at some point. So. Yeah, yeah. And it, it really is a case of, you know, set it up now so that you can get on with stuff. Um, Tim, I've noticed you've just noticed a comment, and I've noticed a couple of these throughout, <laughs> where quite a few people are saying that they are looking at third-party options because GA4 is just causing them so much trouble, um, which oh. is quite shocking, really, um, yeah. you know, that that there isn't enough resources out there from Google themselves um, to, yeah, it's just not good. I think there's, you know what? I think there's an argument to be made that this is one of the worst business moves in history, right? Google had total domination of the analytics market. There yeah. are some businesses that can't use Google. They, they had the ball at the goal line. All they needed to do was improve the analytics product and work out how to pour everyone over. And they've just thrown a massive steaming lump of garbage at everyone and said, you know, figure it out for yourselves. And they're losing market share. And it's it breaks my heart. This is the um, thing. This is yeah. the thing. Um, and one last question of the day. Is GA4 worth learning if people are leaving? No, don't. I would say, no, no, that was wrong. That was absolutely the wrong answer completely. Yes. My, it is worth learning. My brain had an absolute backflip. What I meant was don't learn universal analytics now. Um, if you're yes. just getting into analytics, what I mean is do absolutely learn GA4 because once you're in and you get it, you get it. 
and it's very easy yeah. to use after that. So it is just a case of persevering with it and figuring out what works for you. I think you will find stuff in there that you way prefer over universal analytics. But yes, definitely do learn it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the key takeaway. <laughs> this is going to be, uh, oh. you know, I think by the time we come around to July, this will just be like a, a sort of therapy, group therapy for businesses and marketers who, are, who feel yeah. traumatized by GA and various Google products, user interfaces. Yeah. Howard asks, what's the GA, best GA4 alternative? We're not going down that route. GA4 no. is actually sick. It just looks it horrible. Is. Yes, yes. And if you're confused, as I said earlier in the stream, if you're only just joining, if you check the description down below, whether you're on YouTube or whether you're listening to this podcast on Catch Up, there is indeed a guide that I wrote about GA4. I shouldn't really have said that I wrote it. That sounds like I'm only driving you there because I wrote it. But regardless, <laughs> a lot of people have told me it's good. So, it's incredible, Jess. So have a look. That'll t teach you everything about how to set it up, what's changed with the metrics, what's changed name to be something totally different and all this crazy chaos. Um, Tim also created a video about GA4, sort of going over some of the basic but most important metrics that you will need to track as a business, um, which you can find on our YouTube channel once we finish this podcast. And finally, um, if you want somebody to help you with GA4 and you need a consultation, head to the description. There is a link to sign up for some consultation calls there as well. We really want to help you because we know GA4 looks like it sucks right now and it doesn't. It just looks from the outside like it's like it sucks. And if yeah. you start now, then, you know, you're going to be off to a way better start. And if you've only just joined the stream, all links that we talked about today are in the description. So. Yeah, go and get that consultation. We'll be able to talk you through what's going on with GA4 for your business. We'll help you figure it out. If you've got crazy setups or you need some, you know, server-side stuff, then we can talk through that as well and get you set up if you need to. Well worth doing. Give yourself an early Christmas present and get your business sorted with GA4. Yes. It can gather data all over Christmas when you don't even need to think about it. Do it, please, please. If, if you do anything after the stream, so GA4. <laughs> yes. Super important. It doesn't take as long as you would think. So, um, yeah, go set that up, please. I'll sure have a bad Christmas if you don't. <laughs> it's a threat that I'm putting upon you. Oh, there we go. Was that a threat? I think that was a threat. So on that note, <laughs> thank you everyone for tuning in. And we will see you. Jess, we're back in the new year, aren't we? We are indeed. Um, I'm not sure if it's the first week of January or the week after. It depends how wild we're feeling. If we feel like living close to the edge, we might do a stream on the third. But I highly doubt it. So it'll probably be the week after. <laughs> see you, everyone. Have a lovely break. We'll see you.